and welcome back to the Pin for Pin podcast. I'm your host, Joshua Atkinson, the voice of college bowling, and I'm here with Coach Mike Kubaki of Calumet College of St. Joseph. Coach, how are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. And it's because of bowling that I'm a little bit busy because I'm trying to do my own bowling right now. Well, how did you get into the sport of bowling? Oh, gosh. Uh, Ten years old. My friend took me bowling. I used the wrong two fingers. I bowled a 37, but he only bowled a nine. So I think me beating him uh, got me fired up and hooked. Wow. And you bowled at an early age, but did when did you think that you could do bowling competitively? Well, you know, when I was a kid growing up and we didn't have the youth uh, – tours the way they have them now i mean and the youth tours today are just amazing but um back in my day we bowled these dollar pot games against some guys that were extremely good players and uh many of them would go on and win pba events and pba regionals and this is in the late 70s you know and into the early 80s when uh bowling was really a just one of the premier sports and back in the day when Don Carter was getting a million-dollar deal, and, um, and I think guys like me <clears throat> really idolized some of the greats in the game, um, like Dick Weber and Mark Roth and Earl Anthony and some of the greats. And then when Dick Weber's son, P. Weber, came along, um, you know, there was a lot to look up to in the sport back then from a talent standpoint. And for me, uh, when I started keeping up with those guys, um, I just knew that I was starting to get pretty good. And um, <clears throat> I had this running joke with my mom back in those days. And I would say, Mom, Mom, I didn't lose money today because uh, that was a big deal. You know, obviously a dollar back then was kind of a big deal to me. And um, and then little by little, I'd come home and I'd be like, Mom, Mom, I made five bucks tonight. I made five bucks tonight, uh, which sounds so funny to say in today's money. But uh, um that was kind of what got me going. That was uh, competing against those guys where they really showed no mercy. I mean, and uh, they took those dollar games very seriously. And I think I just always knew if I could uh, handle that environment, I could handle most things competitively in the sport. And so with having a good player career, what made you decide to get into coaching? Well, the journey into coaching – I would say found me rather than me finding it. Um, what not a lot of people know about me is back in 2003, I was on a discovery health episode called Chicago lifeline that, uh, and I had a rather challenged chest cavity and spine from birth. And they thought that they could maybe fix it. And when they went in, they found that my sternum was going backwards and, uh, they made some in-surgery decisions to remove over half my sternum, rebuild the top half, move my heart, and uh, take out parts of my pleural wall from around my lungs. Um, so uh, needless to say, I went on a medical journey that I never anticipated. And it took me away from the game for over a year and a half. Uh, it took me out of my corporate life. And it landed me on disability. Um, and... One of my friends, the late Claude Jackson, came to me and said, uh, hey, Mike, I could really use some help coaching these high school kids at Highland High School. 
And I said, okay. I said, oh, I think I can do that. And, um, so I went and I helped him and it was a little rough and some of the kids quit and, and he came up to me and goes, you did a great job. Goes, what are you talking about? He goes, all oh, those kids quit every year. He goes, they just quit a lot sooner with you. I said, oh, okay. I said, well, I said, uh, I said, I'll finish the season. And I said, if, uh, if I like it, I said, I'm going to go start a program at my alma mater, Griffith High School. And I did. And my son bowled for me and my nephew bowled for me. And next thing you know, uh, we won a state title in our second year. Congratulations. Thank you. And, uh, and then after that, the college came calling. And they wanted to start a program, and they went to Mike Cozy uh, locally here at Olympia Lanes, and they talked to him about maybe coaching, and he uh, really didn't have the life schedule for it, but he suggested that they contact me, and and they did. And uh, the funny part to the story that I always like to tell people is that uh, the college came and interviewed me for about 20 minutes, and then I interviewed them for about two hours. Oh wow! And uh, they uh, they had no idea what college bowling was like. They had no idea the investment that they were going to have to make, and they also had no idea that we were one of the few sports at that school that could put them on ESPN or CBS Sports Network. And uh, so, I fortunately started with a young athletic director named Peter Herring, and he, after a couple of years, really saw what bowling could do. And, you know, this was at a school that the sports teams had had no success at that point. It was a relatively new athletic department. So for me to come in and talk to them about trying to win national titles and getting the national finals, and they just thought, really? <laughs> and uh, I think they thought I was a little crazy. And uh, um, But once we started having the level of success, I mean, the school just uh, got behind us even more. And, you know, and I had said to them in the interview, I said, I'm only interested in being one of the best teams in the country. And that means you're going to have to support us that way. And uh, and they've held up their end. They've done a nice job of funding the program over the years. And, um, and we were fortunate uh, to have the great run that we had where we made the Sweet 16, 15 years in a row. Unfortunately, this was the year that the streak ended. Well, we'll get to your team success a little bit later, but talk about the difference initially between coaching high school and then coaching college. Yeah, that was, um, I think on some level, I made some assumptions that college kids were going to come in maybe a little bit more prepared and, um, maybe a little bit more hungry. Uh, but I think what I learned is that, you know, the difference between uh, high school kids is they often grow up together. And they many times they've often gone to the same schools all the way through grade school and high school. Well, when you bring college kids in from a, pro- in a program like mine, all of a sudden I've got kids from Daly City, uh, California, and kids from Jersey Shore. And they've grown up completely different, completely different cultures, uh, completely different interpretations and slang and definitions of marginal words. And um, so you have to spend a lot more time uh, getting them to know each other and 
understanding each other. Um, you know, I think that uh, obviously you spend a little bit more time coaching them in college too. So um, our high school practice schedule wasn't nearly as time intensive as our college schedule, but also on my high school team, I had maybe eight or 10 kids, whereas my college team often has 20 to 24. So there's just a lot of different dynamics in, and sometimes the high school kids could get a little bit more of me at a practice session because it wasn't as many kids to get to versus my college team. You know, sometimes uh, it's difficult to get time with each player on a consistent basis. So there really is, uh, I mean, and then in college, we also have the ball limits now where uh, all tier one events, we can only take five bowling balls. And today's game, that's really tricky. Um, because uh, the equipment has become such an important piece of the success in the game. And and then even through this process, you know, I didn't have two-handed players once upon a time, and now I have many two-handed players. So it's been uh, – uh, the, the game has massively evolved in the 15 years I've been uh, coaching in college now, uh, actually just finishing my 16th season. So um, – the game has changed a lot, and if you've been coaching through it all, you've really had to change with it. Well, speaking of coaching through it all, do you have a coaching philosophy? Because some coaches do, some coaches don't, but you coaching for so long, and maybe you had one when you started coaching, and then it's changed over time. So if you do have a coaching philosophy, talk about that. Well, I think uh, the one philosophy that's never changed is that I'm a cooperative coach. Um, I will always um, collaborate with a player and make sure the player understands uh, the things that we're talking about and how they're going to benefit them long term. Um, but if the player doesn't buy in and doesn't agree, I've always told my players, I need you to speak up. I need you to, um, I don't want you to be half committed to a process that we're looking at in your game. So there are times that players, uh, and it hasn't happened very often, but there, there are times that players aren't quite on board yet with just because one of the hardest things to do in college is come in and try to compete for playing time while you're trying to improve your game, which means going through some changes. And that's a very difficult mental process and uh, one that has routinely frustrated many very good young players over the years. And and I always tell some of my better young players coming in that it's about a year and a half. It's about a year and a half until they really understand some of the next level stuff and how to process it mentally and physically. Um, and But it's not unusual at all to see um, things really come together in their third, their, their third semester when they've gone through the process um, in the best way possible. But... I will tell you that there are players that are good and don't ever get any better um, because collaboratively they feel that what they're doing is best. Um, and as a coach, if there's one thing I've learned over the years, I can tell you all day long that this really is going to help you and this is why. But if you don't believe in it, it's it's there's no point in forcing a player to change. Um, and, you know, it hasn't happened very often, but some players, they just get really, really good at doing and 
and they become a player that can that can make an impact in a moment in time. They just they don't have versatility to uh, to be an overall great player. So, you know, as a coach, sometimes you just have to you have to use the pieces um, in the best way possible. You know, and I think this year's team was a little bit of an example of that because we finished the season ranked seventh in the country, and we didn't have an All American on our team. So we had a lot of players that we just had to use what was best of them in the moments uh, that they are. And, um, and we're fortunate to have some pretty good team success, but it, this year's team definitely uh, when they missed uh, making it to sweet 16, which was heartbreaking for them and many of the graduates. Um, I mean, when I look back at the season, this year's team definitely struggled with some of the complete versatility that is needed to be successful um, in eight-hour days of bowling. Um, you know, when we were good, this team was very good. But when this team struggled, it struggled. And, uh, and sometimes struggled to overcome that struggle. And uh, so um, it was a good season in the end, but always when you don't make the national finals, it's a bitter pill at the end as well. And that's so mm-hmm. interesting successful coach because if you just look at the numbers you had two tier two wins and two top five finishes in tier ones and were ranked super high and then still saying hey there's work to be done and yes we did all these things but you can't just uh, trip at the finish line you got to keep pushing keep going and it seems like your team was trying to do that this season yeah we definitely uh because outside of those really good moments uh, we had some rough ones we had a 15th and i think we had a seventh or an eighth in a couple places and um and those are the ones that stick with me because those are the ones where we weren't able to problem solve in the right way and uh, the really interesting interesting thing that happened this year is that in that tier two win we dominated the field and won by 300 pins went back to the same bowling center two months later and didn't make it out of sectionals and so it's that's uh that's tough i mean it's we know that bowling center extremely well and just couldn't get the ball to go through the pins the right way this time and and that is a little bit of what's happening in the sport too um as the equipment is evolving um some of the little nuances are becoming more and more prevalent but i also think that uh, one of the things that this team struggled with a little bit was uh, ball speed changes. Um, and I think that um, in looking back at where our struggles were, we didn't, uh, I think there was probably a little bit more of a direct path with a little bit better ball speed that could have helped us in sectionals. And, um, but at the same time, the guys really did execute a lot of good shots that just didn't strike. And uh, as any bowler knows over time, that wears on you over time, when you're falling behind the scoring pace, you start trying to strike. And um, and I think that even as a coach, I was trying to help them look for strikes, which mistake on my part. But uh, but sometimes the situation dictates that you have to take some chances and go looking for strikes. And um, and and as any bowler will tell you, sometimes when you look for strikes, if you don't find them, you find opens. And, uh, um, so it's uh, it's a delicate balance. 
Very, very interesting. And when you were going through this time during the season, like, yes, you've had some success, but at the same time, it's kind of, I wouldn't say iffy success, but, like, you have your highs, but then in your lows, you can't really find anything. And so how do you address that in practice? And just for the recruits out there listening, what is a typical practice like? Well, one of the things that um, players in our program that are very fortunate to have is to have a, a coach like myself that's been doing it 16 years and, and still tries to compete and knows the struggle of competition and then having another assistant coach that was a two-time uh, All-American player in college and still competes at an extremely high level but has become a, uh, a master of pattern creation. Um, and we will continually go back and look at what our failures were and create, recreate that pattern, especially if they've given us the pattern. We'll just take the pattern, put it out of practice, and then spend some time working on it and go, okay, this is what we should have done. This is what we should have done. Uh, we got to get our hands more up the back of the ball. We got to get a little bit simpler with our releases, um, giving up the pocket a little bit too much. You know, we may have to look at our spare shooting and make sure that we're locking down on that. Um, and uh, so we'll often, you know, one of the reasons that we practice in two different bowling centers is because one of them has a Brunswick Pro Lane bed with a Brunswick machine, and the other one has a, an older DBA synthetic lane bed with a Kegel machine. So we really... We teach our players all the time the differences in the machines and the patterns and, and the way those lanes break down and um, and what to look for in their ball motion and um, you know and, and the importance of stability and consistency in the shot making to get consistent ball reads because I think an area that many players struggle and they don't understand is that for a coach to help you there has to be some consistency in your shot making. Um, so first and foremost, that has to be present. And, you know, when we've gone through struggles as a team, it'll be, it'll have a lot to do with just the fact that if the shot's not executed at, um, a high enough level, it's going to be difficult to get a good ball read. Um, and without good ball reads, you're going to struggle to line up and maximize the lane condition. So, um, it really is a, uh, a process that players, have to really learn. And one of the things that we really preach in our, in our team sessions is that I just need you to make a good shot for your team. I don't need you to strike. I need a quality shot. So we get quality reads. And even if you make a great shot at splits, that's okay. Um, because the next four guys can make good adjustments off of that. Uh, the team's been rewarded. And so, but trying to get a young player to buy into that can be difficult. But I will say that I think over time they see the value of it. Over time they see the perhaps the the lack of pressure and the expectation, um, which helps them. Um, but it it does take some time to get them there because young players they just want to strike, they want to see their scores go up, and they want to be in the lineup. And and it's really if you're going to be an elite team, it really is about just making quality shots for your team, showing your teammates the lane making them confident that they're seeing solid ball reactions so that when they, they when they step up there, they can let it go. And when players really buy in to that process, I mean, it's, 
it's such a harmonious thing. I mean, it's uh it's a part of our sport that not I don't think your average person really gets to see and enjoy. Um, unless you really understand it at that level. And and we've had some teams over we had a team one year that won four out of five tier one events. And those guys were so committed to that process. They're making hand tweaks off each other and they just believed in each other's shot making. Wow. Is that a record for for five tier one events? You know, I don't know. Um I have wondered a little bit about it. I mean, that team was the definitely undisputed number one ranked team that year. Unfortunately, we didn't win the national title. So that's uh, always the kick in the butt. But uh, I'm really not sure because uh, we did uh, uh, we did lead uh, the Hoosiers that year in qualifying, uh, but we didn't win it. Um, but uh, I'd have to go back and look at the stats for that season. But uh, But I think for the ranking points that year, we got four out of five. Uh, first place ranking points in those events. Um, but, well, uh, very impressive for anyone yeah, to achieve. Yeah, that. it was. And it's not a coincidence that a couple of those players are on tour right now. I believe Michael Davidson and Matt Kuba were part, were part of that group. And um, and some of those players have uh, are still bowling together in uh, the USBC Open and putting up some pretty good scores. And another player, Ryan Burks, was in that group and um, he could probably turn pro if he wants. And I think he's debating a little bit. And um, so there was definitely some talent there, but they worked for it and they worked hard. You know, they really did. They, uh, they let me push them and uh, they got frustrated at times, but, uh, but they also had some underclassmen pushing them. And that's another key to really being a great team is that everybody understanding that the best players in your program only become who they become because the other players are pushing them because they know if they don't keep getting better, the others are going to pass them up. And that's, that's really what builds a great team and a great program when everybody understands that the eight players that get to um, represent the team at the national finals, they're representing the efforts of everybody in the program. And that's really the culture we try to create, but it's a selfless act. It really, it's a lot more selfless than people realize. Well, you could just see from the outside, if you have a really good program, but you know, they have one or two JV teams, like those JV players want to be the varsity starters, but then it's kind of, you don't want to have a competitive team where they're competing against each other, but kind of on the flip side, you want that so they can push each other, but not so as to the detriment of the team. And that's kind of where we talk about the brotherhood. Uh, when I talk to my guys about the brotherhood, we really do talk about you have to compete like brothers and love like brothers. And uh, it's, you know, because brothers definitely improve brothers by the way they compete with each other. But at the end of the day, they still love their brother. And um, and, they, and that's what you really need. Um, because uh, without that competition from within, many of them aren't going to become the best version of themselves. Well, Coach, you gave an expert analysis on the technical and physical portion of the game. But talk about the mental side of the game, because I feel like that's not 
readily talked about. Everybody says it's such and such percent mental versus physical, but how much is your team doing with regards to mentally being there and what you do for mental training? Well, I think that's a, a great point. And it's an area of the game that we started to focus on even more. Um, part of it is we've actually pulled the game away from our players physically at times. Just because one of the things we talk about is I don't want you to throw shots that you don't care about. I don't want you to go through the motions of practice. I'd rather you throw 50 shots that you're ready for and that you want and that you're mindful of and that you're um, really focused on working on, on whether it's just great overall execution or something in your game that you're specifically working on. I'd rather you be ingrained in than just go through the motions and throw shots. So that's one of the things we talk about. We talk about practice habits. Uh, another area of the game that we talk about is just um, having the confidence um, in your practice work so that when you get in the moments, you let your fundamentals take over. Um, and that's a hard thing to do. There's, a, there's always a moment of vulnerability in every shot that you just have to be willing to go through um, and let let it go. Every great player knows that the whole key to the game is just letting it go in the big moments, and you have to control the shot anxiety. And really the biggest way you control that is just understanding your own process, and because you've worked on it so much in practice, um, you see the players that can really get it done. Um, but it's, uh, it takes a lot of work. Confidence, confidence is critical. Confidence can be fleeting for even the best players in the game. Um, but most players that have had success, and um, and one of the things I talk about the players that have had success is that whenever you're struggling, think back to those moments of success. Think back to how confident you were. And just try to bring that back to yourself. Um, because all it takes is one shot. One shot and your confidence can be right back because that one shot just came off and reminded you of who you were. And and that's really what that's how the game is a lot of times. So a lot of people don't understand that. When they see players struggle and they look like they're just a train wreck out there, but all they're really doing is they're pulling the pieces of their game together. And little by little as everything gets into place timing wise and rhythm wise, and all of a sudden they get that one shot. That one shot that makes everything make sense. And then they just go. Um, when you look at the history of the game, they say greatness in our sport is, is indicated by what you do after you strike the first time. And, and to me, that's, that's the clear sign that a player that understands how to problem solve. And then once they solve the problems and they throw that strike, they're able to lock in and repeat that. And, uh, and that's, it is a process. That's why they talk. That's why great players talk so much about working through their process. A lot of great information that you just read, just listening to that, it's like, well, you have a very good perspective about the game. And, you know, we talked about, you know, your past teams, and we talked about your current team, but let's look at the future. There's a bunch of people out there listening and maybe some recruits that will be listening to this as well. So why should they go to Calumet College of St. Joseph and what are you looking for in a recruit? 
Well, when I look for a recruit, it really comes back to one simple word, willingness. Uh, my players hear me use that word a lot. Um, you have to be willing to come into a team that has had a pretty good level of success, and you have to be willing to learn from coaches. You have to be willing to learn from teammates, and you have to be willing to contribute. Um, contribute with your effort. Contribute with your discipline. Contribute with your academic success. Um, so it really becoming part of a team and a program really is a selfless, it's much more of a selfless act than many people realize. Now, the rewards are great. Don't get me wrong. The rewards are great because I bowled for two years and 86 and 87 have been since. And the rewards of those teammates still resonate with me to this day. But it didn't happen without the effort that I put in and those guys put in. And so I think that you give me a player with willingness to grow, willingness to learn, fourth great effort every day willingness to battle through the rough patches because it's never going to be a straight line up to success um willing to deal with weather changes and still go to class and be successful in the classroom um you know willing to uh maybe do the dishes in the apartment that or the uh willing to take a give a teammate a ride or fix a flat tire. And there's a lot of little human things that happen throughout a college season. And the best programs are players that genuinely care about each other and are genuinely there for each other. You know, um, we can teach the game. We know that. Um, we've, we've proven that the things that we teach will make players better. Um, but I will tell you, there are many players that come through the program that don't necessarily always get a lot better. And it has a lot to do with how they engage in the process of learning. How, how much are they willing to immerse themselves in the process? How much are they willing to engage with their coaches and their other successful teammates? Um, that, to me, is, is probably the most important element. We will coach you. You will get help from us. Um, you'll probably get as much help as you're willing to go get. Um, and that's one of the things I remind players of. Don't think a coach is always going to come to you and give you everything you need. Uh, the best outcomes is when a player goes and gets what they need. Um, <clears throat> I've actually recently bought a bowling center. And the first six months of ownership has been a little bit of a challenge. We're going through a lot of staff changes, a lot of managerial changes, and it's definitely taken some time. Um, but the good news is, is that it's just going to allow me to have even more resources at my disposal to help players. Um, <clears throat> so it's great getting talented players, but it's even better getting players that want to be great and are willing to go to they're willing to go through the process to learn how to be that. And, uh, and it, really does, it really does start and end in the mind because the body will follow what the mind is willing to be and willing to learn. Well, you just got a bunch of great quotes there. <laughs> well, as we wind down here, we talked all of this about coaching, so now I have a coaching scenario for you. 
let's say there's a kid that wants to come to your program. He's got good grades, great attitude, a 185 average on sport, but he bowls with a conventional fit. How would you coach that player? Well, is he using a thumb or no thumb? With a thumb. I think I would talk to them. Again, this back to being a cooperative coach. I would talk to them about what's worked for them and what hasn't worked for them. Um, I would try to find out when they're being successful, uh, what's the environment that they're having success, um, and when they're not being successful, uh, what's that environment like? And then we would just go from those answers. Um, the assumption would be a conventional grip would struggle a little bit more to get good rotation and create strikeability. But I can't say that with 100% certainty that that's what would happen with that player. So it would really be a big part of an interview discussion process. I wouldn't turn away a player, though, um, you know, because I would probably be talking to them a little bit about how they're using their thumb. Um, because when you're talking about a conventional grip, there's two handers that go all the way into the second knuckle, which is the conventional area. Um, and there's two handers that do it without putting your thumb on the ball. And there's two handers that do it with putting a thumb on the ball. So they potentially uh, could be in a conventional grip, but almost throwing it like a, like a two-hander. Um, so I think it would really just come down to looking at what they're doing and looking at what the needs of our game are. Um, I think uh, that's probably been one of the biggest areas of the game evolution is in looking at the, the different ways players are now putting the ball in their hand, you know, cause uh, not all two handers do it the same way. Not all one handers do it the same way. And I can't say that I've had a true conventional grip player yet, but I can say that I've had uh, two handed players that go into the second knuckle, but still use their thumb a little bit. So um, it really would just be part of learning a lot about them as a player. Well, that's a very interesting answer. And one of the mm -hmm. more uh, thoughtful answers that I have gotten. But mm -hmm. to be respectful of your time, Coach, let's wind down. Is there anything you would like to plug? Maybe your social media or summer camps or just anything you would like to say and maybe why a kid should come for the college? Well, I think that most players that want a small school atmosphere, that want to know their instructors, that want to bowl at a school where bowling is truly elevated, um, school recognizes our bowlers at an extremely high level. We are treated like athletes. We have probably half of the school trophy case. Um, so it's really nice to bowl at a, at a college that <clears throat> really gives uh, the sport of bowling the respect that it deserves. Um, it's, we are a, a school that has free tuition, free parking. Uh, we even have a free food bank on campus. Um, so we have a lot of tools to ensure student success. Um, I get attendance reports. I have close connections to all the professors. I think the other thing that a lot of players and families get it get with me is 
they get a coach they get a coach that's understands the challenge of a full school year and understands how to help players problem solve um, when they face the different problems that they will, whether it's problem with their car, problem with their girlfriend, problem with professor, problem with keeping up um, academically. Um, I have a lot of resources to help kids. Um, and I, and I do, um, I really bring the families in, you know, I don't want mom and dad to feel like an outsider. Um, I talk a lot to the players um, and their parents about we're going to do it together as a team. And if mom and dad sense that a player is struggling, I want mom and dad to call me. And if I sense that I'm not understanding something about their their son, I want to I want to be able to call mom and dad if I'm just not quite understanding the answers that I'm getting sometimes from the player. You know, we always go through the player first, and I always always encourage parents to go through the player first. Um, but, uh, but it is a process to being successful in college and being a successful student athlete. And, you know, we always talk about the kids that make it, the kids that do amazing, the kids that help the team succeed, but there's a lot of other players out there. And the one thing that doesn't get talked about is who doesn't make it, what kids fail academically and why did they fail out academically and i'm very proud of my record over the years i'm not going to say i saved every player i'm going to say that every player that wants to graduate from our school will graduate because we have a ton of tools and resources to help them get through the rough patches academically um, and as long as i always tell players and parents the same thing if you are honest with me at all times there is no problem we can't solve, and and we will get we will get the problem solved, and we will find success. But it will take real honesty, you know. And uh, so I think if hopefully if parents are hearing this, they know that they'll get a coach that has had sixteen years of success um, in doing all of those things and helping kids academically, helping people socially. Um, and obviously helping them athletically. And I think if you're a player hearing this, uh, you, you're going to get exposed to um, coaches that have been around the game for an extremely long time with almost 80 years of collegiate experience and our full coaching staff. And you're going to compete in an area, the Chicagoland area, that has uh, five or six very strong youth tours. So you're going to have plenty of things to bowl in your downtime. We're not in NEI school, even though we are in NEI school. We don't bowl under the, under the NEI governance. Uh, so my kids can bowl anything they want. They can win as much money as they want. Um, and many of my best players do. Um, so there's a ton, of ton of bowling opportunity, academic opportunity, athletic opportunity um, to grow uh, with, with our program and our school and even our area. I have many graduates that have stayed around the Chicagoland area. Um, so there's just a lot of opportunity and hopefully good outcomes for all the players and families that choose Cuyahoga College of St. Joseph. One of the other really important programs that Cuyahoga College of St. Joseph has recently started um, is a program called the Cuyahoga Commitment. And we are now offering a free senior year of tuition to student athletes that accomplish 
the first three years of school, uh, staying on course to graduate in the fourth year, which is having 90 credit hours after three years, um, and a 3.3 GPA. If you accomplish those two things, your senior year will be all free. Free tuition, your senior year. Well, you heard it here, folks. Calumet College of St. Joseph is a great place to be. They got lots of opportunity, and they're going to be doing great next season. But that's all we have for this episode of the Pinth Pin Podcast, so I'll leave you all with this. The levels of success are good, better, best. So never let it rest till you're better than the best. See you all next week.